Welcome back to A Fresh Story, the podcast where we have conversations about brave decisions to start over again. I'm Olivia. And I'm Jenny. And we're so glad you're here today. Hello, 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 everybody. So you may notice that I am a solo act today, and that is because at the time that we recorded this episode, my co-host and co-founder and little sister had the audacity to go ahead and get married and was not available for this episode's recording because we often book these episodes like six months in advance, especially with somebody who's on a book tour like L'Oreal is or was at the time of this recording. So we brought in a friend of the pod, Mr. Rob Abney, to co-host with me on this episode, as you'll hear. Rob was on two different episodes of A Fresh Story. We have known him forever. It was an amazing conversation with L'Oreal. Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret. <laughs> so L'Oreal is the author of this fantastic book, Stop Waiting for Perfect, which we talk a lot about on the podcast. And I am a perfectionist. And we switched podcasting recording platforms uh, the last couple months. And I told myself I would learn this whole new platform over the summer, and then guess what Olivia didn't do. So this episode, as you may hear, because it is our first one recorded on the new platform, has some slight timing glitches. And the perfectionist in me is really struggling with this because it doesn't sound perfect. And everything I like to put into the world, I want to sound perfect. But after listening to what L'Oreal talked about with her book and her manifesto and her mission statement with stop waiting for perfect and do it messy and show up and all that stuff. I took it to heart and I'm releasing this episode because I didn't want to keep fussing with it. It was such a beautiful conversation. So I want to just invite you to show up a little bit messy and not perfect today because I did, and that was really a struggle for me. But as you will learn in this conversation, then that is the most important thing we can do is put aside our perfection and just show up as we talk about with L'Oreal and her amazing book. So if you hear a timing glitch, there's some things that uh, don't exactly line up the tracks wise. Uh, just ignore it and pretend it's not there because it's okay. Just focus on the conversation. (laughs) Take a listen to this conversation with L'Oreal and Jenny, we miss you. And (laughs) please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to A Fresh Story so that we can keep telling fresh start stories. L'Oreal Thompson Payton is the author of Stop Waiting for Perfect, Step Out of Your Comfort Zone and Into Your Power. Her work has appeared in outlets such as Bustle, Essence, Self, and Well and Good, just to name a few. As a writer, L'Oreal expertly blends refreshingly confessional career and life advice with inspirational insight and just the right amount of humor. She does this by authentically and vulnerably sharing her lessons learned and imperfections while bringing her readers along with her on the journey. And I came across you first on Twitter and um, I just love everything you do and everything you post. And actually, as I'm reading your bio, I'm thinking Rob might be like the the, ma- the male oh, version of that. you. I feel like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of synchronicity here. 
How's it going today? It's good. It's finally fall weather here in Chicago. So, and that's my season. I thrive. October is my birth month. I'm a Scorpio, spooky season all the way, pumpkin spice, everything. I'm in my element. So I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm great. Fall is also my month and my birthday is next week. So we are getting closer and closer to each other. Right, yeah, we really are (laughs) Separated at birth. So close. (laughs) You'll see. You are very similar. I'm excited. This was was Kismet. Well, we're really excited to have you here. Let's just jump into it. Can you take us back to the beginning of your Fresh Start story? Well, it's very timely because my most recent Fresh Start, I have had many throughout my life and career, but as of beginning of September, um, I am now a full-time freelance writer again. Um, And so I've done it. There's been lots of stops and starts throughout the last three years, honestly, um, since 2020 is when I last left my last full-time job, but now um, recently left Fortune as a health and wellness reporter and getting back to my, I like to call it my editorial roots. I started off as a freelance writer in 2008, um, a lot by force rather than choice because I graduated into a recession. Um, For my fellow elder elder millennials out there who can empathize. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And back then, I feel like I really put the free in freelancing um, with, you know, just like exposure and all those other things. And now I tell like every young person, don't do that. Um, Be smarter and wiser. But it's I'm excited for this fresh start. I'm a newly published author. Uh, My book Stop Waiting for Perfect came out in August. And I'm still you know, very much doing the book tour and the book launch and a lot of different speaking engagements for that. And it feels right. It feels timely. It feels like this is very much like a me season and stepping into my power, like literally taking my own advice and what I've shared with people in the book and Mm -hmm. living myself because it's not enough to, you know, talk the talk and write the book. I'm very much into walking the walk as well. And that's what I'm doing currently. So take us back. I grew up up? outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and very quiet neighborhood, went through Catholic school my entire life, literally from kindergarten to college, and was very much like the shy, awkward black girl before that was like a cool thing to do and be. And so I remember vividly growing up, and I write in the book also about um, my love of writing. Like there's a picture of me and my sister. She's, we're three and a half years apart, so and in this picture I think maybe I'm four and she's six months but I have this spiral bound notebook on my lap a pen in my hand and it looks like I'm interviewing her like maybe you know like early uh, version (laughs) of journalist me and um, I love writing I love reading was like my first love and writing as an extension of that because then I realized I could create my own worlds and stories. And when I was six, I tell the story about writing um, a book called Dinosaurs in Outer Space. And it was literally about dinosaurs in outer space. (laughs) Um, I illustrated it as well. And that moment was very pivotal for me because I remember writing it during the day. It was like over the summer. And my dad came to pick me and my sister up from my grandparents' house and asked, well, what did you do today? And I was like, daddy, daddy, look, I wrote this book. And he was like, cool, like add it to your, the reading list for the summer reading challenge, you know, at the library. And I was like, but I'm not a real writer. Like I'm not an author. I'm just a kid. Um, and his reasoning, which I couldn't argue with was, well, if you wrote it, then you read it. And so it counts and it's like enough. And that was very monumental for me. Cause okay, I was terrified going to the library and like, I thought for sure it was going to be like this Christmas story moment where they're like, you'll shoot your eye out. But instead of that, it's like, you're not an author. <laughs> and I was going to have like, 
my library card and privileges <laughs> revoked because they realized that the name on the card was the same as the name on the like six year old me was very much just like this is gonna be a disaster. <laughs> worst worst literally case worst case scenario. Like I couldn't imagine anything worse for like me like being a little reader and having my library card taken away. Um, but that did not happen. <laughs> I don't even think the librarian noticed, <laughs> but that was the first time that I was like, oh, I'm a writer. Like I can write, I can tell stories. And it evolved as I got older because in middle school, I was very much obsessed with teen magazines. And this was the, the, the 9-9 and the 2000s, right? So it was very much Britney Spears, yep. Christina Aguilera. And I was like, well, I don't have blonde mm-hmm. hair and big boobs and blue eyes. Um, so where does that leave me? Like I felt very much um, a lot of internalized self-hate as well, because I you know, remember this is before Black Girl Magic was a hashtag before Black Lives Matter was in movement. The representation and diversity that we see now in media didn't really exist back then, or at least in the magazines that I was reading. And so I felt very isolated, felt very lonely. Like, remember vividly praying to God to make me white so that I would be beautiful like in seventh grade. And um, again, always been a writer, journaled a lot to get my feelings and thoughts out on paper. But when I got to high school and I was the editor in chief of my student newspaper, I realized that my words can not only help me, but they can help others. Like I would write a monthly column and I talked about everything from body image to self-defense and self-con, like all of these things that kind of drove the nuns mad. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, so was a little bit of a feminist mm. rebel <laughs> back then. Um, you know, I love as that. one does. And that's when I decided, mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I want to be a journalist. I want to be a writer. I want to use my words to help other people, but specifically help Black women and girls feel less alone. I just didn't want anyone else to feel the way that I did reading those magazines. And I knew that writing was my superpower yeah. and like my gift to the world and the best way that I knew how to go about doing that. But spoiler, I never made it to editor-in-chief of Team Magazine, so poor one out for that drink. Yes, yeah, you're doing yes, great things yes, anyway. Yes. yes, there's so <laughs> much is, time. I feel like I'm book too about how, um, actually from a work friend that I worked with when I was at Jed and Ebony, and he told me, it was like, the mission stays the same, but the method can change it. So my mission always been uplifting, encouraging, inspiring Black women and girls. The way that that has manifested itself has taken different shape throughout the years. First in my work as a journalist, then when I worked in nonprofit PR and communications, then when I came back to journalism and now as an author and a speaker. And so I haven't lost sight of that purpose, but the way that it has um, shown up in my life has certainly changed throughout the course of my career. That's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how you just worded all that because I when you started off with with the the escape side of it right having your mm-hmm. own building your own world that you can live in that you can kind of manage and, and and it be yours um and it's almost like you were prepping for whether it's self-consciously or or on purpose you were prepping for what you were going to do in the future do you do you do you look back at that and go oh yeah like especially when you got into high school and started writing you're like oh i've been oh, i've been yeah, doing this I, for years it's very timely because literally last week i was back home and i was giving the keynote address at my school and i was honestly shocked that they asked me because i was like y'all remember like 
I got in trouble for saying two butts <laughs> when I was talking about like Beyonce and J Lo back in 2004. Are you sure? Are you sure you want me? And I joked, but I was very serious. Like that was the start of my editorial career. That was where I forged my way as a journalist. I mean, I think around the same time that I wrote the Dinosaurs in Outer Space book, there's also this um, mini magazine or newspaper I wrote at my other grandparents' house. So I was just writing all over the place. Um, and like, look at that. And now, you know, having been a career journalist now for 15 years, and it's very interesting because my dad was the same way. There's a picture of him when he was a kid playing with a fire truck and he became a career firefighter, did that for 30 plus years. And so I feel very um, lucky in that regard that I more or less figured it out pretty early on um, and stayed true to that uh, mission or that goal that I had in mind. But back then it was like, I'm just... I was writing because I like to read. And so I just, by, I think, sheer necessity <laughs> created my own words to read, um, but then got even more fortunate as I got older and realized that the power that words have and how they can help others as well. Did you ever feel like a friction within that identity when you were going through like different Absolutely. Your life? My middle school and elementary school is predominantly Black. And I am also black, <laughs> um, in case you couldn't tell. So mm -hmm. there's on the outside, the sense of community and we're all the same, right? And, but I was a little bit different. I was also nerdy. I was very much into my books. I skipped a grade and that definitely didn't help my popularity. And while everyone else was like listening to Tupac and Biggie, I was blasting NSYNC and Britney Spears. And they said, quote, I talked white. Um, I was called an Oriole because I was black on the outside and white on the inside. I lived in the suburbs and a lot of my mm -hmm. classmates lived in the city, like in Baltimore City. And so there was a lot of otherness, even though I was surrounded by people who looked like me. And so it was interesting then going to my high school and all-girl Catholic school and being one of two black girls in the whole class, but feeling like more of myself there because I remember vividly at orientation they do, you know, like the little icebreakers and everything like that. And I turned around um, to the girl who was behind me and I was like, NSYNC or Backstreet Boys? Because <laughs> that's the kind of person that I was. And she was like, which one, by the way, which one? Did, so which one? I'm an NSYNCer through and through. Okay. And I can acknowledge, <laughs> I can acknowledge that boys or uh, as I'll say Boy Scouts, where did that come from? Backstreet Boys is the more vocally talented yep. group. I can admit that. And even within NSYNC, yeah. I started off as a JC fan and I lost my way. I got distracted by ramen hair, Justin, and I converted. And I now know the errors of my ways and I can go back and admit that JC is the more vocally talented. JC, Justin had the career that JC deserved. And that's a whole nother podcast, mm. but... That sounds Nothing. like your next book. That sounds I know. Like I, I have time for that one. As I as I watch the Meow Mix commercials yeah. <laughs> with my daughters. So, um, so that's an, an aside. But yeah, I was very in sync, Britney Spears, yeah. um, and didn't fit in. But when I got to high school, I met other girls, right. these white girls, who, of course, also like in sync and Britney Spears. And when we got older, I remember that same girl who became a good friend. Um, but then she was like, yeah, I remember that moment. And I thought you were going to say like rap music or something, which I didn't realize at the time, like microaggression. <laughs> um, and because I didn't know what yeah. microaggression mm -hmm. meant. There was so much that I didn't know back then that, of course, I can reflect back on now. But as I write in the book right. as well, that time in high school, um, you know, before Black Girl Magic, like 
Beyonce's still and Destiny's Child. Actually, she debuted her solo album my junior year, I remember, in 2003. Um, but it was still before, like, Michelle was First Lady and all these other things. So there wasn't, again, as much of that um, mainstream representation. Because I also love Brandy and Monica, but they weren't on the cover of Teen People and YM and Cosmo yeah. Girl and things like that. Um, and I really... I remember trying to purposely distance myself from those other black girls because I was smart and I was intelligent and well-spoken. And so I'm not like those girls. And again, going back to that internalized self-hate. And as I got older, I realized we're all the same girl. (laughs) We're all black girls. And there's very very different um, versions of what it means to be a black girl. But I think back then there was this very singular um stereotype that I didn't yeah. fit and so I yeah. didn't and also I didn't want to because it was a negative stereotype and so it was just like a lot to unpack there that's really interesting because I, I mean I, I would love to hear your perspective Rob because you have well because we kind of had this yeah we had this conversation I think mine's is probably yeah. what two years <laughs> delayed from yours and and, and based in okay. Long Island New York as opposed <laughs> yeah. to, to Baltimore but the and I and actually you said like the the idea of of not fitting in. I think I was lucky because I, I was six mm-hmm. four and I played sports. So no one, well, within reason, no one ever said anything yeah. to my face. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Cause most of my, um, my bouts were internal, just how I assumed mm. people felt, how I assumed what people were saying. And so my, my entire world was based on that because on the outside, everyone loved me. Right. I, I could morph and go into these different communities and, and be whoever I needed to be, which as I get older, helps, helps one in, in being able to navigate the, the professional world, but it definitely has its Mm -hmm. its negative um, effects long-term. But even as I have my, my Mm -hmm. two girls and, and you talk about different shades, they're different Mm -hmm. shades and they live together. Right. And, and they have different kinds of hair and, and, and they're both, very strong but in different ways and 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 my lou who's lighter she's the one who is so intrigued Mm. by race and and under like was talking to me the other day about microaggressions and what they actually mean because she reads book books about race and she's very into the past and knowing where i come from not just where her mom comes from um and it's a it's an interesting conversation to have because i didn't actually have Mm -hmm. it when i was her age it just like every we all just went our separate ways and we did our things and my mom never really was intrigued and my dad wasn't there right and so these thoughts I didn't really have to work them out I got to live in my naivety um, and just grow up as Mm -hmm. as I wanted to and as I get older now I am having those conversations and having those thoughts and and think and looking at them as we live in a predominantly white neighborhood wondering what they're mm-hmm. thinking and what they're feeling because I never said it out loud. So we, we actually do talk about it more um, so that we, we understand where they are in their day, um, which I think is, is very important. The idea of back then, if it was Beyonce and all of us were on the darker side, then where do we actually fit right. within that conversation, right? Brandy, I remember those days, the boys mind how popular that was, but you didn't see Brandy mm-hmm. or Monica on any of those those stations because they didn't fit that mold, right? So that's it's a it's interesting that you kind of live your life by what was popular in that in yeah. that in that era. You went to college, I assumed you were uh, writing. So because this is how my brain works, I majored in communications <laughs> and specialized in journalism, got a minor in Spanish, but my thought process at the time was like 
even then I knew that media is a very volatile industry. And so I wanted to make sure I had something else, like essentially a backup plan in case it didn't work out. And so although I concentrated in journalism was also part of the newspaper, all of my internships were editorial. Um, I broadened it with some communications courses and PR, which I did tap into. As I said earlier, I transitioned to a career in nonprofit PR and communications, but journalism has a hold on me. And so I I came back. I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. (laughs) And then when did the book come? Like where, because the book is that book, Mm -hmm. right? Stop waiting for perfect. It's really like a, it's a a mission statement, right? So where did that Mm -hmm. come from? Because that obviously had to start somewhere years back from when the book was actually Yeah, the first iteration, I remember in 2015 is when I first had the idea for a book. Um, It wasn't necessarily this book, but the work and title and the Google Doc that has since been abandoned was the Millennial Manual. And it was like all of these lessons and very much of 2015 in that girl boss era. So I was talking about um, switching careers. I had just left journalism and I was working for the local school system in the communications department. Um, Really wanted to do nonprofits for girls, but this was kind of a bridge to that way into that world. And um, okay. was honestly bored at work. And that's when I came up with the idea and started the Google Doc. Um, and since then, it evolved in many different ways. And 2017 is when I was like, okay, I really want to write a, a book book. Like I want to write a book, um, a self-help book. And because I very much believe in that Toni Morrison quote, she says, you know, if there's a book you want to read that hasn't been written yet, you have to write it. And I took that to heart. Um, and came up with Trust Your Dopeness was the original title of Stop Waiting for Perfect. And that I loved it too until I realized that it was, you know, copyright by someone else. And so I was like, okay, I need to, (laughs) let's get back to the drawing board. (laughs) (laughs) That's so so interesting though, because the Google Doc, Mm -hmm. just to go back for a second, the Google Doc for what did you say, the Millennial Manual, that is like your version of a teen magazine. Oh, I like that. Um, maybe we revisit that in some point. I don't know. Well, now millennials are old and we're not trendy anymore and no one cares about us. It's all about Gen well, Z. Well, the, the tired <laughs> yeah, millennial right. manual. But like, we moved on. But that, I mean, because that, because it sounds like what you were going to put in there is all the same things you would read in yes. Glamour and Cosmo, right? Oh, yeah. Very I mean, similar. I dreams. My senior project from Loyola, like my capstone project was a teen version of essence i called it essence girl um and so you know like what happens to a dream deferred well it becomes like a blog and a newsletter and then a book <laughs> um the evolution <laughs> yeah yes, but, I, love that. Um, I wrote the book proposal in 2017 i bought jensen saro's um nonfiction book proposal course because i'm stubborn and i wanted to very much go the traditional publishing route um i think it's the journalist in me and something about the credibility of having um, a traditional book deal mm-hmm. behind you. And, but then the perfectionist in me like got a hold because I realized much many years later on that um, procrastination is a form of perfectionism. <laughs> um, and at the time I wanted to write this mm-hmm. book about yeah. overcoming imposter syndrome. And back then it wasn't the trendy topic that it is now, you know, like there's a million different articles and books and such, but back mm-hmm. then it was still kind of like, it wasn't new because the term itself originated back in the early 70s um, for these psychologists, Susan Imes and um, Pauline Clance. And so like concept not new, but hadn't heard about it from the perspective of a Black woman. And so I was like, I'm onto something here. Um, Fast forward to 2018. And so the proposal process, for those who aren't familiar, you write 
for a nonfiction book, the outline, essentially a few sample chapters and put together this proposal. And then you query literary agents who are then the ones that shop your book around to you. The publishers, um, very long-winded process, because even when you get the deal, it's about 18 to 24 months from the deal to publication. So in early 2018, I'm yeah. querying agents after I've procrastinated and actually writing the book proposal itself and met with rejection every step of the way. They're like, we'll come back. I remember one vividly who told me, she was like, I like your voice. I think this is a really important topic. And come back when you have 20,000 followers. And I was like, because at the time, I think I had about five or six across platforms. And that's the other thing about nonfiction. If you're not a celebrity or a politician or major influencer, like they don't really care. <laughs> um, and so it took a yeah. lot of uh, perseverance to push past that. A lot of stops and starts. I had signed um, with two other agents before landing with the one I'm with currently. And that's something people also don't talk a lot about very candidly in publishing is sometimes you have to fire or break up with your literary agent, um, which was scary because I was like, well, these other people have already said yes. And if I don't find someone else, then this dream of mine isn't going to come true, which is very much, you know, like scarcity mindset thinking. And I had to push past that um, because I didn't believe in settling for less. Like I believed in myself and my book and I needed someone who was going to also believe in me and the book and shop it out um, mm -hmm. in the world. And we did find a publisher in 2021, um, then realized that the previous title was under copyright. And I say all that to say, A, it was not an overnight <laughs> process, right? This was many, many years in the making, a lot of rejection that came yeah. along, a lot of stops and starts. And then, and I always knew it was a possibility that the title could change because that's publishing and, you know, it's, it, it, it shit happens. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I'm excited about yep. though, is I feel like the current title, like Stop Waiting for Perfect is much more of this moment, right? Like Trust Your Dopeness was 2017, 2018 me. And a lot has changed in both my life and the world since then. Hello, global pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it's only natural yeah. then that the book and its content evolved with me. Um, and so it was like, yes, still imposter syndrome, self-doubt and that sort of thing. But I also started to realize how much perfectionism was playing a role in that in my life. Um, and even in the course of writing the book. And so it all feels it, it worked out the way that it was supposed to, even if it was a really long of course it did. Yeah. Of course it did. Yeah. No, I, I, and that's so important mm -hmm. that to talk about it, right? Because people have these dreams and they want to be a writer and they want to get a book published. And they, again, I feel like there's still a lot of people who are not talking about the book publishing yeah. world. So I appreciate your honesty and your can, you know, candid conversation about it. So for anybody listening, can you give us like a little description of what yeah, the book so is Stop about? Yeah, Stop for Perfect is a love letter to all of the overachievers, all the highly ambitious people out there, all the recovering and aspiring perfectionists, because I don't even put myself in the recovering camp. I'm still, <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm unlearning 30 <laughs> plus years of perfectionism. So it's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen overnight. And it's this permission slip to stop waiting for the perfect moment in your life to do the thing that you dream of doing, whether that's writing a book, launching a podcast, switching careers, you know, like breaking up with your partner of 10 plus years or whatever, if that's no longer serving you, right? Like we yeah. get into our mind that, okay, if I have all my ducks in a row, if I wait for this perfect moment, then I will be guaranteed success or yeah. whatever outcome it is that you're looking for and hoping for. But if you wait for that perfect moment, you will literally be waiting for the rest of your life because that moment 
does not exist, right? And you'll get to months, years, decades mm-hmm. later down the road and look back with regret, like, oh, I wish I had done this. I wish I had started that yeah. project and yeah. saw someone else doing it and got in your head about it and everything. So it's just like, stop waiting for that perfect moment. Do it now. Do it messy. Do it imperfect. Cause you can always change. You can always make it better. You can always pivot. But right. if you don't start now, you're going to be waiting forever. And that's no way to live. And it's, it's interesting. So like, going back, when you talk about like the, the yeah. stopping and starting the rejections, the pivoting, the there, there's all those micro yes. fresh yeah. starts <laughs> in there. And I know looking back on it, it's very easy um, to consolidate a two-year process into into a, a, a right. four-minute speech, right, and and gloss over the the feelings that came with rejection. But I'm 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 curious on and as you were navigating that whole space, um, taking book titles, uh, having to fire agents and find new ones, like that when that doubt crept in, how did you overcome that? Yeah, my that? inner critic is very loud. Um, in the book, I've named her Negative Nancy, and um, there's been many instances where I've had to tell her to pipe down. And one of the exercises that I share is writing a breakup letter to your inner critic. Like they mean well, their intentions are very good. They want to protect you and keep you safe and in your comfort zone. But what we know is that the magic does not happen in the comfort zone. You have to push past that in order to achieve, you know, like your wildest dreams. And I do that to myself on a regular basis. Like, and it's not a one and done, like, okay, I did that once and I can move on with the rest of my life and everything is rainbows and roses. Like, no, especially now being a published author, doing speaking engagement, podcast interviews. I was very, like the day before the book came out, uh, was on CBS mornings and I had never been on any TV before then, let alone a national TV uh, program with Gail King, like, hello. Um, and there's, <laughs> yeah. right. The queen. I was getting my makeup done and she came in to check on me, like the amazing person that she is and was like, well, is negative Nancy in the building with us now? And I was like, yes, ma'am, she is. I a hundred percent. Right. <laughs> like, I had to talk myself down. And in that moment, what I did was like steal away a moment for myself and listen to Beyonce. Um, Diva information are like my go-tos to hype myself up. Uh, everyone should have a pump up, like hype yourself up playlist. And Beyonce is pretty much my whole playlist, but um, some breathing techniques to calm myself down, like center myself, ground myself. And it feels very silly when you talk about it, but doing it, the striking a power pose and it's like feet, hips width apart and hands on your hip and Wonder Woman, striking that Wonder Woman pose yeah. um, really helped me push past the self-doubt and the inner critic that was very loud in that moment to go on stage and like do my best. Um, and it wasn't perfect. I look back at it now and I was like, Oh, I would have answered this differently. Or I stumbled over that word things that no one else notices because we are our own worst critics. Um, it can be very harsh on ourselves, but yeah, in those moments, um, and also reminding myself of all of the awesome things that I've done, like I've done interviews before. I am a journalist. Um, I, you know, like do Mm -hmm. this, like the writing part, for a living and talking about it. So just kind of reminding myself as well, I call it my feel goods folder. I go back and look at notes that people have sent me throughout the years, screenshots of DMs and mm-hmm. texts and that sort of thing where people have thanked me for what I've written and how it has yeah. helped them. And I go back to those to remind myself, okay, this is why you're doing what you're doing. And also as proof, as evidence that I've done it before. And so you can do it again. Oh, it. So are your, are your, milestone moments that you remember um 
and I was having this conversation with someone else a couple of days ago, are they the big things like the book being published, like being on um, uh, CBS uh, morning, or is it the small things that no one else sees? So the, the, the someone writing in and saying how it touched yeah. them or how it changed their it's lives. It's like the both and, but I think the little moments, I remember when I got the advanced copies of the book and it had been like a shit day, week, month, maybe even like, it was just like a lot going on. We were getting ready to go out of town and I was like, you know, a lot of authors do an unboxing video and I didn't want to because I wasn't in the mood, but I still wanted to like capture the yeah. moment for just, you know, like my memory's sake. And I turned and I was like opening it and I took the book out, but then my daughter took it <laughs> um, and went to her little chair and sat down to mm. read it um, upside down, of course, as toddlers <laughs> are wont to do. But I remember that moment in particular because it was this manifestation of these two goals that I had worked for so many years toward um, our fertility journey was very long winded. We had multiple IVF cycles to get to her and it all happened at the same time, like got the positive pregnancy finally. And then like a few months later, the book deal. And so it was like, you know, you're working, working, working. And then it's like, when it rains, it pours <laughs> these different blessings for which I'm very grateful. Yeah. And it was very overwhelming to write and revise um, a book while taking care of a newborn. And then like, as she got older and it's just, you know, different challenges, different stages of parenthood. But that moment of seeing her with the book, I was like, wow, like that really happened. And then recently um, back home, I did a book event at my hometown library. And so now my family is there and my dad is in the audience and I'm telling the story about dinosaurs in outer space and crying and he's crying. Yeah. <laughs> We're all crying because it was just like so those <laughs> moments um, for me. It's like, yes, you know. CBS was great and these other different um, kind of milestones, but those little moments are so meaningful to me because they yeah. just like, it's the manifestation of everything and years of hard work and just being yeah. able to share it with the people that I love has been really, really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite that. a close, because I, I, I never liked the full circle, but a, yeah. a full loop. Right, because yeah. it keeps going yeah, after like the, the fact that loop because sounds I literally awesome. Just wrote this week's newsletter was about the full circle moment, going back to my high school and being the keynote speaker. And I remember right before they dismissed the girls, it was at the end of the day. Um, someone turned to me and was like, "They're going to swarm you," and literally that's what happened. And someone captured a picture of it. And I think back to when I was there, one of two black girls in the graduating class, and. I don't know how many are in the senior class now, but there is this picture of about nine to 12 of them literally circling me and like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like getting emotional even thinking about it now because of like yeah. what that moment meant in particular um, and having started yeah. my editorial career there. And so, yeah, the loop, yeah. I like the loop. <laughs> no, it's very big. I get it. It's very big. Like, I, it's, the, it's a weird place to be. It's like for even for me, like you knew what you wanted to do. I I fell into marketing, right? Um, and, and even now, it's the the marketing stuff I know how to do, and I have fun doing it. But it's the mm -hmm. people aspect of it, of of coaching and, and and sharing information and seeing how it how it goes out there. And it's it's been a, a strange journey for marketing as a black person because black culture pushes mm -hmm. marketing yet you never see or now you do more you never saw black executives in oh, yeah. those posts 
right? So we were good enough to create the content, create the, mm-hmm. the vibe, not good enough to manage it. And so it's to like now Black-ish. have the title that, <laughs> right? To have that title and, and have been chasing a title for, for my, mm-hmm. my youth years and now realize it doesn't really mean much. But for other yeah. folks, it does because they see themselves when I have mm-hmm. to do a speech or I get to sit and talk to folks and they they don't have to think about being the actor in that they can actually run the show and manage the budgets and hire the folks. And it's a, it's an aha moment for me sometimes of, of, no, I didn't have anyone to say, Mm -hmm. I want to be like that when I grow up. Um, But not that anyone's saying they want to be like me when they grow up, but they, they do have a face that they can put to a title and strive for something, which I think is extremely important. And that must be very powerful to have a your daughter. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, like that is the manifestation of everything you've been working mm-hmm. towards since you were a child, right? I do think you should publish dinosaurs in outer space. <laughs> that would be amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> that right. should be the uh, next book. Tell yeah. your publisher that. Um, I love all of that. So if somebody's going through a fresh start, what would be your some wise words yeah, you can impart to, to them? Do it now, do it messy, do it imperfect. Um, feel the fear and do it anyway. That fear is not gonna go anywhere. Again, if you're waiting for that perfect moment, it doesn't exist. And what really helped me was honestly, as I was writing the first draft of the book and I saw a tweet that was like, you can edit bad, but you can't edit nothing. And that gave me as a perfectionist, this permission, like, okay, my job is just to put words on the page. My editor and I will work together to make it into a really great book at this final product. But right now it just matters that there's words on a page. And so you can always change. You can reiterate, you can fix something, but there won't be anything to fix and improve and make better if you don't start in the first place. And so it's giving yourself that permission slip again, do it now, do it imperfect, do it messy. Um, because someone else is waiting on you also, you know, like there's that element of it as well. Like Mm -hmm. someone needs to hear your story. Someone needs to take your yoga class. Someone else Mm -hmm. needs to, you know, benefit from this product that you've been working on. And if you Mm -hmm. are constantly waiting until you have all your ducks in a row, you're not only doing yourself a disservice, but the world as well. I love that. I love that. I love that. And my grandmother was somebody who had, she drafted everything, mm-hmm. like even, you know, birthday oh, cards for the that. first draft. Right? <laughs> and she, she always, she always, but something as a writer, what she taught me was like, there's no moral judgment and value in the first yes. draft. Mm-hmm. Just get the words on the paper, right? You don't have to invite in mm-hmm. morality to mm-hmm. your first draft of writing. It's just getting the words into Come the on, world. Grandma. And I really, I think about that every time <laughs> yeah. I sit down to write. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was amazing. It was a really right. All grandmas have wisdom. That should be yes. next podcast. Um, well, our last question, mm-hmm. our most favorite. What was the last thing that you ate and truly Crap loved? Cakes. So, like I said, I'm from Maryland. I'm in Chicago currently, but when mm-hmm. I was home last week for the Maryland leg of the book tour, I twice I had. Um, the Maryland style crab cakes because other places that have it on their menu, I learned the hard way when I first moved to Chicago. It ain't it. It's just, it's garbage. No. <laughs> it's trash. Yeah. It never it's is. Like no, 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 no. Summer's picking crabs and um, yeah. So Maryland crab cakes all the way. I love that. So what's coming what's up next? next more books, hopefully working on some book proposals and mm-hmm. do more freelance writing, more speaking engagements and uh, people can always find me and keep up to date with what I'm doing. Um, in my weekly newsletter, sign up at ltinthecity.com. 
Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. And I mean, you are just, you know, not only so inspiring and wonderful, but your your energy is so beautiful and you're so brilliant and you just have this wonderful, your heart is so big. Like your mission is really to make people feel Mm -hmm. good about themselves, right? And make people want to move Mm -hmm. forward in life and motivate them. And I'm so excited to see your book all over the place. I'm going to go snap photos of it every time (laughs) I go to the bookstore. And um, it's just, it's been, you know, truly like as a writer too, it's been amazing to watch you from Twitter, just like saying like, Hey, my books in in the world. And then like, you're on all these TV shows and everybody's posting about your book. And like, it really is such an inspiration. So just thank you for sharing your story and for everything you do. Thank you so much for the support, the encouragement, the Twitter love. Like I, I appreciate it all. So thank you for also being you. Thank you for listening to today's story. We're always here and we're proud of you. A Fresh Story is produced by Fresh Starts Registry, the first and only platform for everything you need to begin again. You can read the show notes and learn more about today's episode at afreshstory.com. As always, we want to remind our listeners that while we strive to provide accurate and helpful information, we are not medical doctors or mental health professionals. We want to remind you all that the information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for professional advice. We highly recommend consulting a qualified healthcare or mental health professional for any concerns or questions you may have. Remember, we are a podcast, but we are not licensed medical professionals. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any medical decisions. And as a gentle reminder, all opinions are our guests and do not necessarily reflect our own.